Hey everyone, what's up? Um, wanted to come on here as I just uh, test something here for a second. Hold on. Is something okay? I wanted to come on here and uh, give you my thoughts on uh, tonight's. It is 11.43 p.m. Pacific Time, but tonight's uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring on Magnum TA called Shattered. The Magnum TA story. And uh, I, I will say that I know who Magnum TA I know who Magnum TA is. Uh, based on, you know, when I was younger, you know, flipping through channels, I would see him on the NWA WCW um, as a <coughs> excuse me, as a commentator, play by play person, interviewer. Um, I had no idea at that time that he was a wrestler. Well, I should have known, but you know, again, that was like around I think the early 90s, late 80s or something. Um, but anyway, I didn't know. I really didn't know. So uh, to find out later on that he was, and that he was basically everything people had talked him up to be about that time, you know, looking back at his career, um, I, I can definitely see exactly, you know, where they were all coming from when they said, hey, this guy uh, is going to be uh, the next... Um, Hulk Hogan, or at least the Hulk Hogan for the NWA for Jim Crockett, and um, unfortunately, in 1986, uh, that didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen or anything. But, but I will give him credit; they did a great job in detailing how, you know, of course, he became a fan of wrestling, how he kind of got into wrestling, and that's kind of a unique story in its own right because, you know, he grew up watching it with his dad, his grandfather, and all that. <laughs> Excuse me. And then when he got into high school, he excelled at it. You know, the amateur stuff, he excelled at it uh, to the point that when he got to be a senior, he won the state championship. I think it was the state championship. And uh, yeah, it was. It was the state championship. He won it. And um, then what happened afterwards is that he went to he went to college, of course. You know, he went to college. As I, you know, I just made a headset here. Uh, he went to college, and to kind of help pay for his tuition, he was a bouncer at a bar. And it was a bar in the Carolinas, well, not Carolinas, but in Virginia, in Virginia Beach, uh, where the wrestlers would go after the matches. And, you know, they would rag on him for, you know, being a big guy, but not, you know, getting into the business, even though I think Ward had gotten around that he, you know, wanted to be in the business. And then that's when he encountered Buzz Sawyer. Now, just like Magnum, I, I, I've heard of Buzz Sawyer, Sawyer. I should say I've heard of Buzz Sawyer. Seen him a little bit on television. And, uh, you know, Buzz basically said, hey, I can get you in to the wrestling business. All you have to do is lend me $10,000 $10, for a license. And it was like, okay, you know, because, you know, and here's what's funny, you know, because Jim Cornette had to correct us later on. Uh, but it was kind of weird to know that wrestling licenses was like $10,000, which is a lot of money. So, you know, basically after talking to, because Buzz Sawyer even went to Magnum's family, his parents, and said, hey, look, you know, I can help this guy. It's going to take 10000 to do it, though. And, um, you know, what happened is the mother, believing in Magnum more than the dad, went to her grandfather, who also believed in Magnum, and said, hey, I'll give you the money. Here you go. But what happened is that as soon as Magnum gave Buzz the money, you know, 
and he's expecting Buzz to, you know, pick him up and get him re- get, you know, so he can get ready to get trained. Uh, Magnum is not there. I mean, not Magnum, but Buzz is not there. He's gone. He's gone back to the uh, the Northwest. Take the money with him, basically. And Jim Con- Jim Cornette basically said Buzz Sawyer was one of those guys that he would help you and everything, but he was also an a-hole. He was an a-hole. He was a jerk, you know, a manipulator, and disproved it. So what happened is that Magnum, you know, of course Magnum was asked, you know, did you ever get the money back? And he said no. He never got the money back from Buzz. But what happened is that Magnum, with the help of, I'm trying to think who it was, somebody in the business, got him to go fly out to Oregon, got the address of the apartment Buzz was at, knocked on his door, and Buzz was shocked, like, holy crap, you know, like, you're, what are you doing here? I didn't, ex- I didn't expect you. But the reason he was there is that, hey, I paid you 10000 out of my family's money. You owe me. You owe me to train me. So that's what Buzz did. He took him, he trained him, and in less than a day, apparently, he he outshined Buzz Sawyer. I mean, everybody uh, on there, from Jim Cornette to David Crockett to Jake the Snake, yes, they had Jake the Snake there, and Jimmy Garvin, had um, they had Magnum's ex-wife there, they had his new wife, who is, uh, ter- who is uh, Terry Blanchard's uh, sister, I think. Oh, Tolly Blanchard's sister, not Terry Blanchard's, Tolly Blanchard's sister. I believe, and I think is the mother of Tessa Blanchard. So, yeah, they had uh, Tessa Blanchard's mom, Tolly Blanchard's wife, on there as well towards the end. Uh, They had Bill Apter and everything. So they had, you know, decent talking heads in this. And um, what happened is that, you know, each and every one of them, said that, you know, he had learned to out-wrestle Buzz, you know, within a day. And then soon after, he was just immediately booked almost seven days a week in the Northwest. And because he was booked there, just as, you know, like, you know, Terry Allen and everything, he got noticed. He got noticed by Dusty Rhodes uh, when Dusty was booking and wrestling for championship wrestling out of Florida. And he flew back there with Terry Allen. And it was there that Magnum had met Andre the Giant. Now, I don't know if anybody, like Solomonster or anybody else, knew about this, but Andre's the one that came up with the idea for uh, Terry Allen to call himself Magnum. And why? Because at the time, you know, and, and you can obviously see it, even if you watch some of his classic matches on the WWE Network on Peacock, uh, you could tell that he has that Tom Selleck-like look, that... Now, that look that Tom Selleck, Burt Reynolds, and all of them had. So, what happened is that, you know, Andre pulls him aside and says, you're ready to make the, you're ready to make the next step. And he's wondering, well, what do you mean? And he tells him, you're ready to make the next step by, giving, by having an identity, by having a look and all that, being a star. So, he gives him the name, so he tells him, you know, he's going to be, he's going to go, he tells him that, He's going to go by the name, or he should go by the name, of Magnum TA because of Magnum PI, which was on at the time, the original Magnum PI, uh, which was on at the time, very big hit in the 80s, uh, that had Tom Selleck. And he said, Ed ba- <coughs> excuse me, he basically said, that's what you should be, should be Magnum for Magnum PI, and TA short for Terry Allen. And the rest is history. 
And again, he got attention, you know, just by his ethic and his work and his look, you know, he got attention, you know, to go to Mid-South, I believe, which was the next stop. And then when he was in Mid-South and having success there, he got a call from Jim Crockett Promotions, and that's when everything changed. That's when everything just changed, and the sky was basically the limit. And Dusty was with him through thick and thin. I mean, Dusty's the one that called him to go to Florida from Oregon, or from the Northwest. And Dusty was the one that gave him the call to go to Jim Crockett from Mid-South. And um, Magnum, basically, like I said, he when he got there, it's like, you know, that's when everything just changed. Everything just changed um, for the time, for the better, because he was just like an instant celebrity. Because what they were looking for, essentially, was their, their version, their answer to Hulk Hogan, you know, in the WWF. So they were looking for their Hulk Hogan. And Magnum, basically, by his look, you know, his build and everything, you know, uh, he fit the bill. And on top of, you know, having that that fit the bill, that was very, you know, very much a Hogan-like, you know, I wouldn't say total Hogan-like, uh, you know, uh, appearance, but basically very, uh, uh, very much almost on equal footing to Hogan. On top of that, he knew how to wrestle. He knew how to get the, he knew how to wrestle, he knew, to, he knew how to go in the ring, and he proved it. He proved it, and he um, had great success there, as we all know. You know, looking back at the history, he had some great success. He was the, um, hold on for a sec. Taking some white chocolate mocha from Starbucks. Um, but, you know, as we all know, he was a success. He uh, was a tag team champ, I think, was a tag team champ with Dusty. He was a tag team champion. He was a tag team champion, I think, in Florida. I think he was a tag team champion in Florida, I believe. Uh, of all places, he was a tag team champion there uh, with Dusty. I think when Dusty was doing the Midnight Rider for the first time there, um, and he was also uh, basically the United States champion when he beat uh, Tully Blanchard in that I Quit Steel Cage. So, so yeah, he was rising up. He was rising up uh, everywhere he went. I think he was a champion in Oregon. Uh, an organ as well. They they didn't cover like all the bases of like where he became champion, but basically they said no matter where he went, he was uh, a star. You know, he was a star, basically, a, a major star, and everything. And again, you you look back at him, you look back at his work, and he was you know he had it all. He had that. He had the look. He had the charisma. Everything. Um, and he, like I said, no matter where he went, he was a success. He was a success. He worked for Championship Wrestling for Florida, uh, Pacific Northwest Wrestling. Uh, yeah, he, um, won the global tag team titles uh, in Championship Wrestling from Florida with Dusty twice. Uh, he won the North American Championship in Mid-South, which was his first major title. Um, so yeah. So yeah, he had a lot of a lot of success even before getting into the NWA. In fact, the championships and accomplishments that Wikipedia has here, it states that he is uh, he was a five-time global tag team champ NWA Florida global tag team champion, five times with Scott, three times with Scott McGee, once with Dusty Rhodes, and once with Brad Armstrong. 
he was also uh, the NWA US champion twice in Jim Crockett promotions, NWA, w, NWA WCW uh, United States champion. He was also two times Mid South North American Tag Team champion, and two times North America, uh, two times Mid South Tag Team champion. I said, okay, let me let me read that. He was uh, championship wise. He was three five times a global uh, NWA Florida Global Tag Team champion. With you know three times with Scott McGee, once with Dusty, once with Brad Armstrong, and then when he went to Mid South, he was a two-time North American champion, and two times tag team champions, once with Jim Duggan, once with Mr. Wrestling, number two. And that was um, John Walker, John Francis Walker. And then, of course, going to Jim Crockett Promotions, he was the NWA United States champion twice. You know, he was the NWA champion uh, twice and everything. So... So yeah, um, that was. So yeah, obviously, um, you could tell that, you know, you know, just by those accomplishments, even though they weren't, you know, those championship accomplishments, even though they weren't like, on the level of a Dusty or something, um, you could definitely tell that he again he he had a he had the look and everything he had the look, and everything, I mean if you look at the upper. Left, upper, what is it, left hand, uh, right hand corner here, you can definitely just tell by that younger picture of him, he had the look, he had the look, he had everything, he, he, he had, no, to coin a phrase, hey, he's in everything, uh, and not to take anything away from Lex Luger, he had the original total package, movie star looks and everything, in fact, he was on the, he basically he had, basically, his looks and everything, according to his, his ex-wife, who they interviewed, like I said, she would go to a shoe store with him, and the women would just faint, or one woman just fainted, just saw him, knew who he was, and just passed out. Uh, David Crockett said when they brought him in to sign up with the NWA to be part of Jim Crockett Promotions, the women in the office were fanning themselves. They were just so, like, you know, uh, just so attracted and, you know, just hot for him in a way that the moment David said or at least alluded to the fact that, you know, he noticed that, they knew they had a winner. They knew they had a winner on their hand. You know, no doubt. You know, they had a winner. Which, you know, obviously he was right. Because it didn't matter who you put him up against. Whether it was Tully Blanchard, whether it was Ric Flair, uh, Arn Anderson, any other horseman, you know, original horseman then, or if, in this case, it was Nikita Koloff. Because Nikita, outside of Tully Blanchard, became his second biggest adversary. And they had what was known as a best-of-seven match. The original, as far as I know, best-of-seven match uh, for the United States title. Which Nikita ended up winning in the seventh match. Because Nikita had dominated all the way through. And it looked like it was going to be a clean sweep. Until Magnum won, uh, the, rem- until Magnum won the next three. Forcing him uh, a seventh match which Nikita won by cheating. So, so yeah, Nikita ended up becoming champion, and he, even he said, hey, that, that got so much heat. Heat, it was unimaginable. It was just massive heat in everything. But it was done because what they wanted to do is 
put Magnum on this trajectory, this trend, this trajectory towards Ric Flair because, you know, even Nikita said it that back then when you were the United States champion, just like you were the Intercontinental champion, automatically made you the number one contender to the world title. So Jim Crockett Promotions being completely different in many ways to WWE, to where WWE was more like cartoony, family friendly, a bit of you know, a a a, a bit. You know, a bit, you know, uh, gritty at times when they wanted to be. Jim Crockett's was all gritty, all rough and tough kind of deal. And, you know, more so than I think WWE or WWF, more so than them, they believed in kayfabe. But they, and not only did they believe in kayfabe more than WWF, which they did, but not, not, not as much. They also believed that traditionally, if you're the second tier champion, you're the U.S. champion you know, the equivalent to the Intercontinental title, then you're the number one guy to go up against, you know, to go for the world title. Just like when they introduced the United States tag titles, those were basically the equivalent to the Intercontinental Championship in WWE and the U.S. Championship there, and that if you were the U.S. tag champs, you were automatically the number one contenders for the world tag titles. That's how it worked. And I wish it still worked that way, honestly. You know, because that would make things more interesting. Um, but anyway... Uh, anyway, uh, what was I? Oh, yeah. Anyway, you know, he, he lost to Nikita. And they, it was done because they were putting him on the trajectory to become a champion, to become world champion. But he had one more feud to go through. One more feud to go through. Because at the time, he he and Dusty were paired up with Baby Doll. And I'm surprised they didn't get Baby Doll for this. But she had a brief run with both Dusty and Magnum. You know, because she had gone babyface, or supposedly had gone babyface, before she went back to being a heel. So, anyway, I think I think it was Baby Doll or something like that. Or, no, no, it was was it Precious, Precious or Baby Doll, one of them. I think it was. Um, I think it was Precious. I think it was Precious. I believe, actually, not Baby Doll, but Precious. But yeah, he and he and Dusty. Um, I think at one point had Baby Doll on their side, and I think they even had Precious on their side at one point. Um, but anyway, anyway, getting a little confused there, getting off track almost. But anyway, he was going to end up in a feud with Jimmy Garvin. And it was going to be a feud, uh, basically, that was, I guess, you know, just a filler a little bit to build him up to, you know, to his next program, which would have been with Ric Flair. And. You know, while this was happening, you know, T.A. went up to New York to uh, talk with, you know, David, uh, Jim Crockett and the rest of the N.W.A. representatives. And they all had agreed and blessed it as well that Magnum was going to be the one to wear the strap next. He was going to be the one to beat Ric Flair. And, you know, again, before that match took place, he had a program with Jimmy Garvin, which I guess served as a like I mentioned, a bit of a filler, obstacle course or something. I think it had to do something with Precious or Baby Doll, one of the two. Um, anyway, anyway, um, you know, as he's finishing up, as he's getting ready to finish up his program with Jimmy, you know, he's, you know, he's having all this success, right? He's having all this success. And at the behest of Dusty, he's encouraged to go out and buy a Harley with a jacket, which he does. And the moment he drives that Harley out into public for the first time, I think into one of the towns they were, you know, performing in, it got everybody's attention. It got everybody's attention. That and instantly, 
that that when that happened, they knew Dusty knew they had a star in their hand. So anyway, anyway, uh, basically because he's being groomed to be the next champion, you know, he starts living the lifestyle a little bit of the world champion of a world champion. He starts buying some cars, starts, you know, going and doing nice things, doing going and attending some nice events, good nice restaurants, all the all the ins and outs of you know, the the rich and famous, if you will. And what happens is that after uh, after one after uh, one night, you know, competing against Jimmy Garvin, um, he was going home because he was finishing up his program with Jimmy. They were going to have another match uh, the next day. So, and it was in, you know, close to, it was in and close proximity to where he lived. So he was able to drive from the arena, the arena from the venue, wherever it was, uh, in the Carolinas, back home. And what happened is that it was raining. It was downpouring. And he had just bought this new turbo-like car. You know, it had all the, it had all the essentials that you would want in a car back then. Uh, so he bought it. And he drove it. He loved it. And he was driving it in the rain to go home. And he had taken this pass so many times. But it was downpouring so much that he had to try to, you know, he tried to, he tried to, he had to try to find a way to get, you know, around it. Basically tried to, you know, get home without an incident, right? So, he basically, he goes and turns, I think it's turns to, he turns to the right or something. And he ends up hydroplaning. His car ends up hydroplaning, his tires that is. In the water. In other words, they're basically in the, the. Basically, he's driving through the water. So to get out of it, he tries to, you know, take. He tries to turn, and what happens is because the road is so slippery, it ends up turning him around, out, and he ends up sliding over across the the uh, highway, I guess, or the the road, into the telephone pole, and you know, ha- and you know, by doing so, he ended up having the accident, which cost him his career. And he basically explained that, and even they, and they had classic, not classic, but they had archival news footage of people reporting on it and everything, newspapers talking about it. And basically his, one of his uh, vertebrae or something, one of the parts near his neck just exploded on impact. It just blew up. And he was in the hospital for days. They had to get him immediately into surgery. And they would put him on morphine a lot because they weren't sure when he would open his eyes, you know, if he was in trying to talk, if he was in pain or not. So they would put him on morphine and, and everything. And it was just a huge blow. It's just a huge blow to to the NWA and, and to the wrestling fans, the wrestling community at the time. And he was such a big, big star. Again, he was supposed to be the NWA and Jim Crockett's uh, promotions equivalent in answer to Hulk Hogan. So he was, so because he was at that, or seen at being at that level, you know, fans were upset, and they gave him, and they were wishing him, you know, they were giving him well wishes, they were putting flowers down, you know, in front of the hospital, telling him to get well, and everything, they were calling up the hospital, see how he was doing, know what his condition was, you know, all these kind of things, and, and the NWA was... And the NWA was put into a situation to where they're like, okay, what do we do now? You know, it's like, what do we do now? You know, the guy that was going to be our Hulk Hogan is probably never going to walk again or even compete in the ring again. 
So they had to come up with a solution, and the solution they came up with was Nikita Koloff. And what happened is basically Nikita was coming back from Japan, a tour of Japan, and he found out. It's like he couldn't believe it at first, but they're, no, they're like, no, we're dead serious. You know, he's in the hospital right now fighting for his life. So Nikita, because of that, uh, agreed, because I think the meeting was not just to inform him what was going on, but the meeting was also to tell him, hey, since you were his biggest rival and Dusty's biggest rival, you know, outside of Ric Flair and the Horsemen, we're going to make you, you know, the babyface. We're going to make you the guy that is going to, you know, have a change of heart, if you will. And the thing was, the, the, the thing was, according to what I think Crockett said, David Crockett was, how can you have a guy, not, who, who can you choose not to take the place of Magnum TA, who is not like Magnum in any way possible, but be somebody that fans will accept because of the connection uh, with Magnum and, and Dusty. And it was ended up being Nikita because even they had they even had footage of Dusty saying that he has that you know you know talking about what happened with Magnum and everything but then also talking about that he has a new tag partner and it's Nikita Koloff and Bill After who like I said they had as one of the talking heads uh, basically showed a magazine that he had taken with Nikita with having a little tear down his eye and the caption right next to it saying I cry for I cry for Magnum so, yeah, Magnum, basically, uh, you know, because of this situation, ended up turning probably one of the most, I mean, even Nikita said it himself, you know, one of the most hated heels in the end, in Jim Crockett promotions in the territories at that time into a massive babyface. Um, so, yeah, you know, he he stayed in the hospital for quite some time, of course, got moved from where he was, the ICU, to a room and everything, so he can, I guess, start walking it again and all that. And uh, what was interesting is that the wrestlers, because again, you know, they, like I said, they believed more in kayfabe than I think even WWF at the time. You know, because of that belief in kayfabe, you know, you couldn't just have the heel wrestlers, the bad guy wrestlers, like a Ric Flair, like a Tolly Blanchard, like a Nikita Koloff, Ivan Koloff, you know, you name it, you couldn't just have them walk into the hospital in broad daylight and go visit him and see how he's doing. You know, you you know, you couldn't just have that happen unless you break the illusion. So what happened is they said that one of the people that worked for Jim Crockett promotion had a relative, I think it was a father or somebody that worked in the police, uh, the police force, and they were able to, at night, sneak uh, the heel wrestlers like Flair and Blanchard and all of them, you know, via, I think, a, a different exit behind behind the hospital or something like that, a stairwell or something, into uh, Dusty's, uh, into uh, Magnum's room. They were able to do that, and they show our and they show uh, reenacted footage of Rick putting the big gold belt, which I'll, I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them. They they did what they could with it, you know, brown strap and everything. But they did a good job in making it look like the original with the NWA in broad, uh, in brothel, I should say, on top uh, of the a big gold. But you know they did a reenactment of a of a, uh, a a moment where Rick went to go visit Magnum, said putting the big ten pounds of gold on him, a big gold on him, and saying, 
I'm giving you this one to keep, and when you get back in the ring, I'll help, happily give you the other one. In other words, Rick was basically telling him, hey, you get, once you get out of this and you get back to wrestling again, I'll happily be glad to put you over and make you the next world's champion, which unfortunately didn't happen because he couldn't compete ever again. Now, they did show him, you know, showing back, you know, showing up for Starcade. Um, I think it was in 87, Starcade in 87 and all that. He'll be at the side of Dusty and, and Nikita. So uh, that was cool and everything. Um, <laughs> but and, and they did show what happened with the car. The car basically uh, was so messed up from, you know, from what happened. Because what it did was... When the car slammed into the telephone pole, it broke the telephone pole in half. Basically knocked it down. And, you know, again, this was a new car. This is a new Porsche Turbo, whatever it was. And it was so messed up and damaged that they couldn't even, you know, get him out. He, they, couldn't get, they couldn't open the door to get him out and everything, okay? They had to use the jar, jaws of life and open up the roof uh, of the uh, car to, to pull him out. They couldn't even airlift him because the storm was so bad so they had to you know literally drive him to the hospital as quickly as they could but the thing was you know the the car got the car was so totaled you know there was no if, even if you were thinking of saving it you couldn't that thing was gone that car was history if you will uh but yeah you know he you know he was able to you know miraculously get out of the hospital and survive you know, in surviving everything, he was able to get able to do that. And un, and unfortunately, though, things did not get any better because his ex-wife uh, essentially discovered that he had been cheating on her. Now, here's the one common thing about these Dark Side of the Ring uh, episodes when it comes to these kind of things. It's that, uh, you know, the one, it's just that one of the common things they always talk about is infidelity. The infidelity that occurs when a wrestler is on the road and not with their actual family or with the ones they love. So Magnum, of course, being on the road and being, you know, accept, uh, you know, receptible to this, um, ended up basically ha causing infidelity. He ended up causing, you know, his marriage to fall apart um, in a way. So... So yeah, um, basically, his um, you know his marriage fell apart and everything, um, and it just it was just not not really good. It was not you know a really good time, but he was able to obviously bounce back from that. He was able to bounce back uh, miraculously and all that, and that's when he met Tessa Blanchard's mom. Um, and, you know, they started out as friends, you know, and, and she met, and they met, I think that what she said was in 1987. And, you know, they, we started out as friends, talking, hanging out, and then it just got more personal, more intimate uh, from there until, you know, until now they are pretty much married. You know, they're pretty much married. She's now uh, Blanchard Allen, basically. I think that's, that's her name. I, I got to look. Um, hold on. Hold on, let me let me look it up. Let me look it up here. But yeah, her name is uh, Blanchard Allen, if you will. Well, at least that's part of her name. He is the stepfather, basically, of Tessa Blanchard. 
period. You know, he's uh, the step. Yeah, Courtney. Courtney um, is uh, her her mom, basically. Courtney is her mom, and Tully's her father. So, yeah, that's kind of a unique relationship, if you will. Because <laughs> uh, because when you think about it, Tully and Magnum in a you know in in Jim Crockett feud, and take a look at this now. It's like holy sh- holy shoot, you know. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, and uh, basically, you know, Tully apparently came, it took him 20 years to come to terms with his and his wife's falling out and relatively sparse presence in their children's lives. You know, so, so yeah, he's, he's come to accept it. You know, he's come to accept it and everything. You know, he's pretty much cool with it and all that. Um, but yeah, you know, he, but yeah, she, uh, Courtney basically uh, started out as friends with him, met him you know, 97, and just went from there, and, um, you know, they became an item, pretty much, and got married, and now he is the stepfather to Tessa Blanchard, whose father is totally Blanchard, (laughs) so I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but I know people might joke and what kind of say, might joke to themselves and go like, "Eh, no wonder Tessa's kind of not all there at times, well, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be one to say that. I just think Tessa, in this case, is kind of like pretty much a thoroughbred to be in this business. She just needs to get her act together, basically. She just needs to get her act together. Again, drinking some Starbucks white mocha chocolate. Uh, anyway, like I said, what was I? Oh, yeah, he uh, he met Courtney and... And again, what happened that led to this is that his other wife, um, and, and they mentioned this twice, I think uh, twice in the, um, a couple of times in the, in the episode, but one of the ways she found out that he was doing something behind her back was she was going through his suitcase, packing, you know, putting away some of his things, and she noticed a couple of photos. And it took her a moment or so to realize that the woman in the photos was not him. Oh, was not her, I should say. was not her. And because the briefcase, or whatever it was, was not hers. She didn't recognize it. And putting it all together, she realized, oh my God, Ma- you know, Terry, Magnum, is cheating on me. Or he was with another woman. And, you know, obviously these are pictures that were taken to a party, or something like that, or whatever. And they were, and I would basically say they were pictures taken by the woman that you know, uh, Magnum slept with and all that behind his ex-wife's back. And then if that wasn't enough, after he gets out of the hospital and, you know, goes home and starts to recover, you know, he breaks down, I think, and starts basically admitting all the wrong that he's done, including the infidelity. And once he admits that, that's just too much for his ex to, to even, you know, process. And she just leaves him. She says, we can't, we can't do this no more. We're done. You know, because they tried, they tried a year after he got released from the hospital, but once he had that moment where he just confessed everything, that was it. She couldn't, she couldn't handle it anymore, and she, she left him. And again, like I said, even though it took a bit for him to get, you know, his life back together, he did. You know, he was able to bounce back from that in a huge, 
huge way and you know thank the lord that he's doing he's doing better he's doing a lot better now uh than he has uh previously i mean yeah he has to you know use one of those uh motor vehicles and everything but he could still drive a truck which is good he could drive a truck and everything obviously if he's using one of those motor things you know he cuz i have seen people you know customers come into my job and even fellow employees at my jobs that I've been at having to use those kind of things because, you know, they can't really walk for that much, you know, for that long. So they need to sit down and rest themselves. And obviously he does this uh, in a way that to where, you know, not only is he still able to drive a truck and everything, but obviously he can maybe, you know, he could use on occasion for a limited time, I'm, I'm assuming, a walker and maybe even a cane. So, but yeah, he's... He is, uh, I'll tell you this, if, they, if wrestling wanted to give him another shot in some kind of, let's say, authority role, you know, or something like cameo roles, like motivational speaker roles and all that for, for AEW or WWE on camera, you know, just like they did with Fletty Blassie uh, during the invasion, the beginning of the invasion storyline, if they wanted to put him in a role like that, I wouldn't have no issue with it and neither would anybody else. Neither would it, neither would anybody else. So, so yeah. Overall, he definitely looks like he's doing good for himself. It is one of those. Excuse me. Excuse me. There. It is one of those situations where, even he admits that, you know, looking back in his career, because he was asked, you know, the question of, if you could look look back at your career, you know, without the accident, the accident happening, you know, what do you think you'd be seeing? And he basically said he could have, he sees himself being the world champion, defending the title, you know, as much as he can, uh, until the next, until, you know, the time w- would come for him to pass it on to the next uh, 20-something-year-old uh, to run with after him. Because he said basically his plan was, look, I'm going to be the world champion at 27, hold it until, or at least have it, you know, until I'm 30, like maybe hold it up until 30 for three years, like let's say Hogan held the WWF title. Or at least hold on to it, or not hold on to it, but win it several times back and forth. But basically, he said he wanted to have a career to at least 30, even if it was as world champion, retire, and then do NASCAR. Because he basically said, in his opinion, he doesn't think anybody would want to see someone in the, you know, the late 30s, you know, competing with the, you know, competing in the shorts. You know, he just doesn't believe in that. And obviously, in my opinion, he probably feels the same way today. Like, hey, once you get to 37 or at least your mid 40s, you should consider, you know, hanging, consider, you know, hanging it up and spending time with your family or contributing to the business uh, in a different manner. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously, if he felt that way, then when he with that being his original plan, he probably feels the same way today. I don't know. But yeah, that was his plan. His plan basically was be champion in his late 20s. And by the time he reached 30, 31, you know, retire and go off and do NASCAR or something. But yeah, overall, I, I thought this was good. I thought this was a overall very good, very encouraging, um, you know, a story. It definitely, because you even have, like I said, Magnum TA saying, hey, you know, if I if the accident did not happen, yeah, I could see myself being the world champion, champion, and everything. I could see, I could have seen 
Well, well, basically, he already had the blessing of it happening. So, yeah, he said basically if the accident didn't happen, yeah, he could have saw himself being the world champion, defending it, you know, as long as he could until they decided to get have him pass it on to the next 20-plus-year-old to carry for the next, you know, year or so, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, overall, I thought, again, overall, I, th- overall, I thought the, the episode was good. And um, I'm really hoping they do um, one of those behind-the-scenes. like Because one of the things they did in the first and second season is they would do these confidential episodes after like the first half of a season or after the whole season was over. They would do these confidential episodes where they'd be basically like, you know, repeating the episode, but now they have extra content that you didn't see before. But they also have like a round table, you know, with the creators and the narrator. And everything in this case, you know, Chris Jericho and Ivan Hudson, uh, Hudson or what it, House, Evan Housen and his and his friend. So I hope they do that again because I think that'd be really interesting, especially if they would do that for this one, for this Magnum TA one. But yeah, I thought overall it was good, and I highly recommend checking it out. I really do. Uh, next week, even though they listed this as the one, even though this episode was listed, you know, last in the listing of episodes they were going to do this year, you know, for Dark Side of the Ring. This episode, even though it was listed last, you know, in the, like I said, in the listing of, of topics and things they were going to talk about, uh, it's going to air next week, and that is the Graham family. And I, th- I think it Solomon said it best. I think Solomon said it best. Jason Solomon, he basically said that, you know, next to the Von Erics. You know, the Grams were the most tragic family in wrestling. They, yes, the Hearts had some tragedies too, but um, outside of the Von Erichs and their tragedies, you had the Grams. You know, Mike Graham, Eddie Graham, and all that, you had them and everything that happened there. So that's going to be that's going to be an interesting episode to watch. If not, as some people have said about some of the episodes they covered in the past, you know, like the one with the, like the episode they did in, called In the Shadow of Grizzly Smith and, and a few others. You know, like the Benoit one and stuff. Um, and and I think even Pillman and everything. Because they do, they've done some really dark episodes, believe me. Believe me. This will probably be the darkest one they've done. Uh, not just this season, but for the entire series. Probably the darkest one. So I'm looking forward to it and can't wait to see what they do. And I got to give a big shout out to the guys behind Dark Side of the Ring. You guys are doing a tremendous job. I cannot wait to see what you have planned for a season five if you do one. Because honestly, folks, there is a lot they can do with a season five. And I'll probably do a video on that later. Uh, But again, I recommend checking it out. And until next time, guys, you know where to support me. Super live chat during the premiere where you can do also do some super chats now because I got monetization back. Also do super thanks as well as check out my Teespring store and everything by clicking on the links below in the description as well as on the display once you bring that up. And again, live chats are open with uh, live chats will be open during the premiere here as al- along with super chats, guys. Again, like I said, check this episode out. I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. So until next time, guys, that is my review of the second episode of Season 4 of Dark Side of the Ring on Magnum TA called Shattered, the Magnum TA Story. Again, check it out, guys. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it.